0: Welcome to episode 82 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, we have Reed Goosens, founder of Wildhorn Capital, host of the Investing in the U.S. podcast and Amazon bestseller, two books right now, making their way on the charts on Amazon.com. Reed, welcome to today's show.
1: G'day, mate. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Now, briefly, for those that have never met you, that don't understand what you're about, Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about the transition of you from Australia to the United States. How did that happen? How did you come as a nobody into now someone that's managed over $60 million in real estate?
1: Yeah, and that numbers seems uh, it's a little small. Uh, it's actually now a quarter billion. Not to boast, but um, the the whole thing started just really with a an itch, an itch to live overseas. Um, I moved to the United States for, for, for two loves: love of my then girlfriend, now wife, who is American, uh, and also the love for New York City. And I really, I just had a dream to give it a go, and really, I. Had I've got the thing that really makes me tick is more to do with the fact that I didn't want to have any regret when I was older, and so really the, the whole moving to America story was I just wanted to move here as an expat, live in New York City for a couple of years, and then maybe move home back to Australia. Um, my background is in structural engineering. Uh, moved to New York City, found a job, um, pounded the pounded the pavement until I got a job, and quickly realised the barriers to entry. Into the United States market for real estate investing is a lot lower compared to my my home country of Australia. So the, the, there were so much plentiful opportunities here that I thought, wow, this is really awesome. Maybe I can be my own boss one day. And, and I'd already had that sort of inner entrepreneurial drive after reading the book Rich Dad Poor Dad back in um, back in the day. And I always wanted to be my own boss, but. This sort of moving to America was like, well, I've got to move to America. I've got to continue having a job. But hang on, there's this great opportunity to invest in real estate. And that's really where it sort of started back in 2012. Um, And and from there, uh, as I said, the rest is history, right?
0: (laughs) Sure. Well, you make it sound super easy. You went from, (laughs) I think your first purchase in the United States was a $38,000 duplex
1: correct talk
0: to me a little bit about that because we've got quite a bit that say I you know I don't have any money how can I get started uh, I'm, I'm just a small guy how can I ever amount to anything what would you say to those guys
1: yeah look the my, my superpower a little bit is the fact that I do have an international perspective it's, it gives me um, a lens to look through so when I first moved to the United States and I sell properties for 38 thousand bucks I was like That would never exist in australia not a triplex at least um so i was like oh my gosh wow this is incredible like on paper i can cash flow maybe six seven eight hundred bucks a month that's really good money um so it was more the to do with the where i'd come from and comparing to what i had you know sitting in front of me and and for that first property I looked for a market that I could afford. I was living in New York City. New York City is really expensive and I couldn't afford New York City. But I was living there. Um, and I, But I wanted to get started in in real estate investing. And, and up until that point, i had been sort of self-educating for about two and a half years in Australia and obviously then moving to the United States in early 2012. Um, And I I really got to a point where I was getting to analysis paralysis and I remember riding the subway, you know, nose stuck in a book, um, reading about real estate investing but not actually going and pulling the trigger. So I found a small market that was about a 4-hour bus ride away and I remember on Saturdays I would jump on the Greyhound bus and go up to Syracuse, New York and the broker would pick me up, would go look at a few houses and in a period of about 6 months I finally eventually pulled the trigger on a property and, and for those folks out there... I used my own money in the beginning and I'd save that money being a, a, you know, over the years. Um, And it was enough to just get me started in the deal, in a deal, I should say, because you never get to deal number 10 without doing that first deal. And so that was really all it was. It was just finding a market that I could invest in, I could drive to quite easily. It had some sort of metrics of growth, um, but really it was all about getting my feet wet because I got to that point where I just had so much analysis paralysis that I was like, screw this I've got to go out and dive dive in the deep end uh, I, and I always use the analogy like you can read so much about going to the gym and losing weight and all that sort of stuff but you actually got to freaking walk through the gym door right to right. get and get on that treadmill yeah. so it's the same sort of thing I just had to get going I, and it was again two and a half years of learning up until that point before I purchased my first property so yeah
0: yeah I think if we can make sure our downside doesn't destroy us at that at that early on uh, that 's really what we 're after is like you said, just being able to learn from from our mistakes, and part of that is working with the right broker too that's that 's going to mm-hmm. tell you the truth about the the deals you 're doing okay, so somewhere in there you sailed across the Atlantic <laughs> 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 so you you really your your early on exposure I think to wealth was on these yachts, right where you get mm-hmm. to see uh you know wealthiest businessmen, uh, billionaires, owning these uh, super yachts, and you were just basically taking care of the boat for them, but it exposed you to a world uh, where you saw uh, wealth and true passive income. Obviously, if you're in the middle of the ocean somewhere, you're probably still making money.
1: Yeah. uh, So that was pretty... Be moving to the United States and that was in 2000 and uh, so I I graduated, I should probably just quickly give a background, sorry, graduated university in 2007 with Masters in Structural Engineering, moved straight to London um, to work on the 2012 Olympic Games but in 2008, obviously a lot of infrastructure needed to be built prior to the game. You're happening. the civil engineer um, at this And then point. in 2000, civil engineer, Yep, qualified structural civil engineer. So working on working in London, um, just, you know, Australians, it's part of our DNA to, to go abroad as soon as you finish uni, uni college, same thing. Um, and really then, but then my visa ran out in, in London and I wasn't ready to move home. I still had the sense of adventure. I, was, I think I was 23, 24. And so I moved to the South of France and I started walking the docks um, and you know, the whole world of um, 2008 had hit there's this whole world of what we call yachty yachties yachties i should say which is working for the the mega rich of the world on these super super massive boats um, and i spent about 6 6 to 12 months in that world um, making you know great tax free dollars rubbing some of my shoulders with some really you know really rich folk now weren't, we weren't friends it was just more that i was a, you know i was an employee of the, of theirs but I was able to sail across the Atlantic Ocean because when it's winter in uh, Europe, uh, all the boats come to um, Florida or um, the Caribbean because that's where it's warm. And I was able to just have – it was the most incredible experience of my entire life. But I will say that after a period of time, it felt like you're living in a fishbowl. And if you've ever seen the the, the show Below Deck on Bravo, it's exactly the same thing. Um, but uh, And so it was a great worldly experience for me. Uh, it, it got me – used to the word no and a lot of people said no to me when I first started on the yachts and that's how when I moved to New York I used that sort of um, ability to, 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 to hear the word no when I was looking for jobs as a structural engineer because when I moved in 2012 to New York I had no job prospects besides knocking on doors. So that was the same thing I was doing back in 2009, was knocking on boat doors and saying, hey, can I have have some day work? Can I have some day work? Can I have some day work? And over a period of time, I eventually got a full-time gig um, and was able to sail across the Atlantic Ocean. And I worked for a Russian billionaire um, who owned gas lines in and out of Ukraine. So (laughs) very interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So do you still do, do you still use your structural engineering uh, certifications now, or is that part of Uh your...
1: Yeah, look, I spent a better part of a decade working in the industry. Um, I used that structural engineering degree to actually get me and pivot. And this is pr- after I moved to the United States and I actually moved to L.A., I eventually got in 2014, I got out of structural engineering and but used the structural engineering firm that I was working for at the time um, to introduce me to real estate developers in the Los Angeles area, because I said, I said to myself, "Well, I'm gonna, I want to, I want to build the syndication business, which I've now built today. Um, if I've got to continue to work, because remember, I'm a foreigner, so I needed to have a work job to have a visa before I married my wife and got a green card. Um, why not do it with a developer and learn the, you know, the business of it, and be surrounded by real estate 24 seven? And so I made the pivot in 2014 into real estate ground up construction in multifamily, actually in Long Beach, California. And I helped build, you know, the three and a half years I helped build about 700 high-end luxury apartments in Long Beach. Um, working for a really uh, awesome guy who was, a, was an expat like myself. He was from Iran back in the day and it just built up a massive worth of um, of real estate. And um, and it just sort of just, it coupled everything, right? I was, I was surrounded by real estate 24 seven. I was doing it as a day job. I was getting paid to learn. I was also then had my side hustle, which was trying to do these multifamily apartments um, interstate in Texas, and, and obviously we'll get into that story as well. But it was more the mindset of I need to be surrounded twenty four seven with people who I could aspire to be, uh, and I could continue to learn about the business of real estate from within, if that makes sense. So, so yeah, now,
0: many many investors uh, have this this you know, synchrony between them and their spouse, right? (laughs) So, or girlfriend, it can be, you know, any situation, but your spouse and you have to be on the same page with where you're spending your money or else you're going to be sneaking off trying to buy real estate. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship and how that's kind of, you know, how you guys navigated growing this portfolio the entire time. Now, you moved to the United States uh, for your wife. That was part of the reason is that right
1: yeah part of the reason the main reason was to live in new york but then we we obviously moved there together but but yeah you look you bring up an incredibly important point um in the beginning you know when i was getting on the greyhound buses to syracuse new york you know erica had no i you know she knew what i was doing but it was she didn't maybe see the future that i saw um and, and definitely I was the entrepreneurial one out of the relationship. And it, uh, for those folks listening to the show, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening, know, you know, they're in that seat of wanting to be the entrepreneur and have this vision and trying to put, not persuade but encourage the spouse to or the partner to be uh, be, be, be supportive at, at very least. And Erica was supportive. Um, she may not have seen it early on and it was actually over many years of hard work. And, and, and don't get me wrong, we've been through, you know, Getting involved in real estate and having a side hustle and building this business that I built has had a toll on our relationship, and and that I'm not I'm not I'm just being vulnerable to tell the truth, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's important to understand that we always had each other's back, and actually over time I've inspired her to go off and start her own business through the success that she's seen in me, so it really had a real um, you know kismet slash you know tying a bow around like full come full circle of. In the beginning, it was skeptical and it grew over time to saying, okay, well, I can see Reed, you know, doing this, going through some hard times, and then eventually coming out the other side and saying, well, hey, if he can do it, so can I. So, yeah, it, it is important to have a, a spouse who, who is supportive of, of your entrepreneurial dreams and investment dreams and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it takes, it takes time. And um, it, it does, you kind of snap your fingers and all of a sudden, they understand what you're thinking. <laughs> right? So, so, yeah.
0: So, a lot of people that are – at home right now watching the show or listening to the podcast on a train in New York. They're going, yeah, I've been watching HGTV and I've heard stories about yeah. somebody making 140% you know, percent <laughs> off of a flip. And I wanted to get involved in that. I don't have any experience at all. And they kind of have this, this preconceived notion that uh, real estate is a market where you can just make a lot of money really quickly and everything just kind of happens fast when you do it right. And I think we we all see that that's not really the case. all and there's some some outliers at that, but most of what this is about is this is about a lifestyle of of forward thinking and delaying gratification so that you can do the things that you want to do later. And so it's a planning, it's a long term approach. So when we're having these discussions with our spouses, I think it's this is a portion of our savings that we're going to put into this. Uh, process so that later on we can have that financial freedom that you and I both want. We both want Correct. that um, house by the lake or that house that that cabin in Colorado, or whatever your dreams are. You all want that goal, and so this is a this is a process of saying we're going to do this diligently, and then setting our good expectations. So. Uh, talk to me, Reed. Let's get into the let's get into the nitty gritty. A lot of people are going okay. Now, talk to me about what I can do. So let's talk about expectations. Let's talk about just generic expectations for those brand new to real estate investing, and then let's talk about some options that we have for newbies as well as experts uh, in the career field are in the uh, real estate investing.
1: So I think you bring up a very good point, and that's there is a lot of. We'll call it, HGTV is great, but it's essentially crap at the end of the day When you, if you ask me for, from a true investment point of view. Um, real estate is get rich slow. If you think you're going to get rich quickly with real estate, you're in the wrong game um, and go do something else. Go gamble or do something else. Uh, real estate is a planting seeds over a long period of time and those seeds growing into big oak trees, and that's what you want. And an oak tree takes years to build. Financial freedom with your partner or your, your spouse is is a planning stage, and it may take 5, 10, 15 years to achieve the financial freedom you want for your family or you dream of for your family. So that, that's really important to, to get rid of the HGTV noise and understand that it's going to take a period of time to um, grow financial freedom. My, my In my case, I picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Port out in 2009. I had no idea... Uh, it would take over a decade to get to this point today but I'm so glad I I stuck to it nor did I know that it would lead me down this path and and me talking to you about all these units I own blah 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 like my original goal was to come out here and just live as an expat so the other mindset piece is understand it's you will, you know, the Tony Robbins saying is you can overestimate what you can achieve in a year, but you can underestimate what you can achieve in a decade. And that's really important. If you have the right mindset going into this, that knowing it might take five, 10 years to achieve what you want to achieve, then you're less likely to give up if it becomes hard or if it become, it doesn't all work out the right way. And so that get rich quick mindset Throw that out the window today. That's the first thing. The second thing you asked about is what what can you do to get started. So, looking at your with sitting down with your hopefully with your spouse, make, make making that investment decision. You have got to ask yourself a couple of questions. Do you want control over the asset, and, and do you want to have do you want time? Do you have time to go out and find what I call cracking deals, deals that you can buy yourself, you know, manage, whether it be a flip or a small single family house or a duplex. Um, and you can receive cash flow from that or, or, or an equity multiple if you sell if you 're doing a flip so there 's that, there's that aspect of it but you 've got to answer those questions of do you have the time to go out and find it um, rehab it, uh, put tenants in it, all that sort of stuff or do you want to go out and or oh, you don 't have the time and you like investing in real estate, but you don 't have the time or the energy to go do that if you 're in the second half of you know that and you say yes to the second part of that question. Well, then there's a lot of opportunities out there to go and partner with other people. You know, you can buy turnkey properties, uh, which are single family, quite cheap, in your market where, you, where this radio show is, Oklahoma City. There's some great uh, properties there that you can get started. Really on that sort of lower end, You know, less around fifty dollars to $100,000, uh, you can finance them and they can produce some really nice cash flow for you. It's a great way to get started in the market. There's other opportunities like syndication where investors come and invest in my company and they get to come along for the ride in buying large commercial assets. Um, They don't lift a finger. They get paid dividends or what we call preferred returns. And they they we're essentially managing their money for them. So there's different ways in which you can place money in real estate or where get started. But the first question you've got to ask yourself is where do you want to sit in the control piece? Do you want to control the, your own portfolio and, and and be responsible for literally literally everything you do from acquiring it to putting in tenants to re- reaping the benefits of cash flow, or do you want to go place some money uh, in a syndication? Um, and, and you know, and, and go about it that way. So there's a couple of options um, in in terms of how you can get started in real estate investing.
0: You know, and there's you know there's many flavors you just talked about, and everyone's got their own mix of flavor. Some may think they're a certain flavor and then switch to another. I talked to a Mm -hmm. lady today, actually, in Blanchard, Oklahoma, that is retired now, and she's horseback riding. And she was actually at the ranch when we were talking, and she owns 20 uh, single-family rental properties in the Oklahoma City area. And she was asking me, you know, should I sell them right now? What's going? What should I do? And, you know, we're projected to have an incredible rental market the next 10 years. Uh, when we've got loan, uh, you know, new house buying, uh, the standards have already risen. You've seen that go from a 620 credit score to a 700 credit score with JP Morgan and Chase Bank. That's just their minimum credit score required for their programs. That's subsa- a substantial increase in our credit score. That's raising the barrier to entry on first time home buyers, which is then going to make renting more attractive and renters stay in the market for longer, especially in. In those higher rental markets where they're they used to just go and buy a property, now they're going to be staying in that rental, and who knows how long that's going to stay around? I want to get into that in just a minute. But this particular uh, customer of ours, to, you know, her feedback was that she wanted to do flips. She wanted to flip homes, and she had flipped homes in the past, but her husband said no more. And he had said no more because of the emotional toll it was taking on his spouse. He realized that she was spending all this time, all this energy... All this frustration trying to contact contractors, trying to get a hold of electricians that didn't show, and then the material comes in and the color's wrong. And and all this added up to her being in her late 60s and having a, just a, a, a very stressful, you know, blood pressures raising and all that. And the husband said, no more. You can't get involved in these real estate day-to-day operations. So for somebody that's that way that they've either got too much of a busy schedule or they've just reached a point in their life where the day-to-day ups and downs of the market are just too much for them they just say i'm willing to take a lower percentage to be able to put this thing on cruise control what's in it for them
1: so much you know like there's uh, you talk, you spoke about this particular lady has 20 rental in uh, single family rentals I'm sure she's making a great return on investment. I think you've got to ask yourself, what is a good return on an investment and what's that return on investment look like in terms of a time point of view? You know, if you flip a house... Uh, and you put all the time and energy and effort into it, then you would expect a bigger ROI. If you're putting in less time and less energy and you've got someone else doing it for you, then you're going to expect a lower ROI. And then that's really what you've got to ask yourself. So in terms of an ROI uh, in today's market, I'm sure you can find anything between 5 to 10% You know, average cash-on-cash cash returns in the market today that require pretty little to you know some some effort involved for as an an investor as a we'll call a passive investor um if you're looking for bigger returns you know the the Low to mid teens, you may flipping might be the way to do it, but you may not necessarily get it with mm-hmm. um, with time perspective. So you really have to ask yourself, what is a good return on an investment? What do you think? Where would your money be put um, elsewhere if you didn't invest in real estate? And what would that return on investment look like if you were saying investing in the stock market? If you understand stocks, or if you just left it in the bank. Well, you bought a bond, which is the lowest um, risk return on investment you can get. Which I think the treasuries are at 075 percent today.
0: I was so gonna say, it used <laughs> to be the lowest volatility until
1: recently. <laughs> right. So, so there's so many things you can do, and you, but you've got to think about what you want to do with your money, and how does that money, or how does that ROI, the return on investment, affect you? And if you're looking for something in there said between the five to ten percent range, average cash on cash or average ROI per year. You're going to do just fine in sort of you know single family rentals and/or re- investing in real estate syndication.
0: So we talked about the increasing demand for rental properties. Uh, I mean, just everything from. Uh, people wanting to be able to take a new job in California if they want to without worrying about selling. I mean, uh, you know, millennials desire to be able to be approached by different companies and be able to change companies and the portability is really the only reason why even Silicon Valley even exists is because you can buy one house and switch to so many different companies. And you've got all these options right there. But if that didn't exist, no one would pay those kind of real estate prices. I mean, no matter how beautiful it is up there, it doesn't matter. So when we talk about that landscape in light of everything that's gone on with uh, quote unquote depression headed our way recession era all this that's going on what are we doing how are we responding as real estate investors during this time period what's the smart moves to make and what are the not so smart moves to make
1: uh, it d- depends on your investment thesis, right? Like for us at Wildhorn Capital, we're definitely doubling down in growth cities where jobs, it's all about jobs, 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 and understanding that when you have a high demand but low supply, and that means new, new product coming to market uh, for, for, for rentals, um, we want to be in those markets. That's what we look for because we know we can buy existing assets um, and we can do quite well with those existing assets because the the demand, again, is high, but the supply of new product is very low. Uh, So in terms of that is really important. In terms of the overall psyche of how we're living as human beings, I think you're dead on correct that people want uh, flexibility. They want to be able to work from home. They want to be able to work from a cafe. They want to be able to just open their laptop um, and and start working. And I think this sort of the COVID-19 world, you know, uh, Zoom world that we live in now is going to be maybe. A little bit more of the new norm, so maybe you're not re- not required to go into the office as much. Um, but on the other hand, you know there is also the element of you know you're wanting having human human interaction. So going into an office environment where you can focus and be really productive is maybe still something people want and need. So overall, I think we're definitely shifting in in this world of COVID uh, to a more um, online uh, work environment, which means you can work from anywhere. Which I think your rental demographic will then expand. Um, but also, you really want to continue to invest. And that's going to be a good thing, I should say, just before closing that point off. It'll be a good thing that we can start working more online and more remote. Um, but you also need to invest in areas which do have true growth. And if they don't have true growth, you're never going to make money in real estate because you want the true growth to happen. You want year on year rental growth to occur. You want jobs coming into the market where people want to continue to live in your property year on year. And so that's really why it's important to follow the jobs. To follow where that look at that supply versus demand ratio of what's available in the market for people to rent for rent from uh, and what's the new supply coming to, to market that might put you out of business as an investor so understanding that is really really important when you make that investment decision into a particular market whether it be Oklahoma City or somewhere in Texas or somewhere in the North Carolinas um, or it could even be in LA where I live so Wherever you are investing, you've got to understand why you're investing in that market and what does that mean for you in terms of, kind of return on investment.
0: So you mentioned two really large metrics, that's population growth and job growth. Talk to me a little bit about how uh, just anyone can look really quickly and determine that about a city.
1: Very quickly, Google it. So if you Oklahoma City population growth. Enter and you want to see an upward trend. You do not want to see a negative trend. And I don't I have not seen the graph of Oklahoma City. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's growing. Um, you want to see it over, you know, a 20 year span that the population is continuing to rise. Meaning people want to continue to move there, and hopefully over will continue to want to move there in the in next decades to come. Which means it's going to be great for your investments. Uh, the other one is job growth. A very easy um, way to look is you know job growth enter the city there, and you can see the different. Um, where the jobs are coming in from. You'll want to look at a diverse array of, of jobs. Um, you don't want to ever invest in markets where there's only one major employer. You typically want to invest in markets which have you know four, five, six major employers. So there's a diversification there. If one industry, example, example, the oil industry goes bust, mm-hmm. not everyone in that particular MSA is reliant upon that Particular industry for work. Um, thus, if they don't have any work, they don't have. Uh, they can't pay rent. So, you want to look for one population growth um, and two job diversification. And both of those things are very readily available on Google. Literally, just type in the, the, the name, and most cities and um, municipalities will have. Uh, statistics on a government website that they have. You know, for example, I'm sure you can go to the Oklahoma City government website and they'll have all those sort of stats there. They'll have all the demographic breakdown have all the new awesome jobs that are coming to town and they'll have the population summary as well. So looking for those piece of, pieces of information are really key and vital when you are making an investment decision.
0: Where do you see, uh, just on a national scale, where do you see this rent to value ratio going uh, in the Good next question. five years? Do you have any projections yeah. on that?
1: Well, when I first moved to the United States, the other the, the, the big thing everyone was talking about you know, back in 2008 was a US housing crisis. The one thing I learned very early on is that the United States has over 400 metropolitan statistical areas, MSAs. Within each MSA, there is a good side of the street, there's a bad side of the street, there's a north, there's a south, there's an east, there's a west. And within those areas, there's different suburbs. So to have a blanket statement that, Everything's going to be, you know, a certain rent to value ratio, or the the entire U.S. housing market is going to have a impacted, be impacted, is a little bit BS in my in my opinion, because there's so many opportunities wherever you look, and you can make money if you're buying right, if you're buying the asset at the right price, uh, and knowing that you're future proofing yourself by investing in markets where, as I spoke about, before, population and job growth. Also, you want to be looking for assets where you can add value to it, where someone will. You take it off their hands and you might be able to rehab it and put in nicer fixtures and furnitures to attract a better tenant. So looking to add that value to an asset is really important to continue to drive your uh, rental premium. And that rental premium is also reliant upon the job growth in that particular market. So overall, will this particular COVID-19 have an issue on uh, rents? I think yeah, yes, in the next six months, rent's not gonna grow as quickly, but we're gonna get back to early 2021. And I think we're gonna get back to a slow and steady two to 3% rental growth year on year in what we we'll call secondary markets across the nation. That's been the norm for the last 10 to 20 years. So so that, that's that's my, that's my opinion.
0: On the other side of you're a rental guru, if you will, um, what, do you, that word, yes. what, what do you? What is your? <laughs> what is your heart to the market? On is the government going to start pushing and supporting renting homes again, or are we still seeing the government wanting to push owning a home in America, or is it a
1: fifty-fifty? Um, in my opinion, well, if you look at the particularly American. You know, my opinion is that having a strong middle class is good for business. Good for my business means i got renters who are going to rent from me consistently. Having a bigger wealth gap and 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 having a smaller blue-collar or, or, or um, middle-market type of, of area um, is not good for, for anyone. Uh, so with any type of good middle-market type of population growth, demographic growth, you're going to have some new house construction. You're going to have some folks that are going to go off and buy that. I think that's only – it's part of – you got to take the good with the bad. But in saying that, when I have good, strong um, paying jobs in my area, they, that means that people are going to be able to rent from me who want to rent, who maybe never will ever own a house in their entire life because maybe they got burnt or they just don't have the... The, the mindset to go out and, and own a house, and so having that job growth and and employment growth and wage growth is important to me as a as a business owner owning real estate investments in secondary markets across the United uh, across the mid mid uh, middle of America. So I think you've got to look at both of those things and make sure that we are growing as a as a society and we are having job and wage growth because that means that they can pay the the, the rental growth that we're going to continue to project that our property is going to continue to grow at. And they're not gonna be this sort of stagnant wage growth, but yet cost of everything keeps going up. So that's the it's it's a it's a fine line to, to tread, but I think in general um, you're always going to have renters as cost of things go up. Um, there will be first time home, home buyers that never not going to be those, um, but it's just an in and around how you continue to have a rental portfolio in the right areas and goes back to job growth that you have also wage growth accompanying that as well, because that will help support the year on year rent growth that you want out of a particular asset.
0: Reid, you've been quoted as being a mentor for syndication. Talk to me for those that may not even know what that is. What is syndication?
1: How, what mm-hmm. does it
0: mean? And and what does it take to get involved in something like that?
1: So a simple analogy, think of a syndication. Uh, I use this plain analogy. So say I wanna get from LA to Oklahoma City, right? Reed Goosen's wants to do that. And I wanna go out and uh, I need to fly there, right? Um, if I went out and hide a, a Boeing 747 by myself, it'd be pretty goddamn expensive, right? <laughs> Except for today, <laughs> except well, maybe except for today, right? But but if but if I go and share that cost with maybe 150 other people, we can all enjoy the benefits of flying from point A to point B, which happens to be Los Angeles to Oklahoma City. Um, think of that same analogy as how we go and buy real estate investments. Except we go and buy commercial real estate. We go and buy larger assets that I, as an individual, can't just take down by myself. But I know it's a really cracking, smoking hot deal, mm-hmm. and I want to go share this deal with other folks who can, you know, come along for the ride. They don't lift a finger, um, and they're, they're, the, they're the people in the economy, right? Uh, I have my, I'm the captain and co-pilot. My business partner, and I. We may have people in first class who come along and are part of the general partnership who can help us qualify for loans or can help us, you know, maybe find the deal or underwrite the deal or manage the deal. They're sitting in in first class. And then you've got all the folks in the back in an economy enjoying the in-flight entertainment and they've invested money into the deal, um, Maybe fifty thousand bucks each, and then we've had we pulled that money together and go and, and, and bought that particular asset. So that in itself is what syndication is. Syndication can apply to any business. It just happens to be that I'm in the real estate business. Um, think of Google and Facebook. They needed they had ideas, and they go fund those ideas by, from investors, and they went and pulled money from other investors to fund the growth of Facebook and Google um, over time. So, so syndication is just a is a business owner you know, offering investments to investors who don't have time nor the energy to either come up with the idea or go and find real estate investments. And it's a partnership that they form in order to grow a business together. That's all it is.
0: It sounds like crowdfunding to me. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> crowdfunding is a good word
1: for well, Crowdfunding is a good word, but crowdfunding has also been coined with the lower, like you can get in for five or five thousand or a thousand mm-hmm. bucks. Syndication is more in the fact that you are investing larger sums of money. It's, it's, you know, it's not just you can't just strike a check for a thousand bucks and be invested in a deal. I think so we're going it, that so direction. But
0: so, yeah, so ahead. we're going that direction. But what does it take right now for someone that says, "Huh, I'd like to buy an apartment complex." I mean. Apartment complexes run the gamut on prices, anywhere from one million all the way to 150 million uh, and more. You know, depending on what cities you're in. So someone says, "I could never afford that. I, I, I'm not interested in that." But I do like the stability of the market because I understand mm-hmm. these large entities are often you can control the cost so much better than you can on Correct. a single family. It control the quality of the campus. I mean, there's just all these metrics uh, from water maintenance to uh, the Staff that you hire on there to the rules you can set, and you've got a lot of uh, leeway with uh, the county now because you've got hundreds of addresses that that are that are under your care. So, um, what does it take to get involved in something like this? Is this for just people that have a million dollars in a bank account, or or can the smaller guys get involved in
1: this? No, definitely smaller guys can get involved. Um, there is certain rules and regulations that you need to follow, and need to make sure you as the, as a limited partner as a passive investor you are, are understanding. There's a, there is obviously Obviously, uh, the Security Exchange Commission, which is the governing body here in the United States, making sure that one um, rips people off, um, has set two limits, which is one being a, you either an accredited investor, meaning you earn over $200,000 a year or more, um, or you have a, value, a net worth of over a million bucks, excluding your primary resident. Um, their, their folks, they said, the SECs essentially just said, well, look, if a deal goes bad, I think they're going to be able to support themselves. And not that all deals go bad, but that's what they're thinking, that they, that they are an accredited status because they've been able to earn X amount of money per year or they, are, they have a net worth of over a certain, percent, a certain amount for everyone else is unaccredited investors. And you can still invest in in real estate. You can still invest in syndications. You just have to invest in what's called a 5-6-B for Bravo. Uh, And that's a certain limitation, which means you can have up to 35 non-accredited investors involved in a deal, but you have to have a pre-existing relationship with that particular sponsor or that particular business owner in order to go and get involved in maybe a larger apartment community. So you need to understand where you fall, either you're accredited or you're unaccredited, um, and, and you need to go and make sure you're looking at deals and, what, and understand if you can invest in those deals based on your current accreditation status. So that's how people can get involved. Um, and then you also can look at what's the minimum investments. And they typically range anywhere from twenty-five to $50,000 minimum investments. Um, and it just depends on, on the operator who in which you want to invest with. Um, and when I say operator, the business owner that, that you want to invest, invest with. So, yeah.
0: So just to summarize that, so if you're an unaccredited investor, which means that you haven't filed with the SEC to be an accredited investor with a minimum being 200000 and above?
1: Uh, uh, you, don't have to file, you, you don't have to file with any SEC. The SEC just sort of had made those rules in order to you know, get some sort of guidance, you know, guide rails. Okay, well, you this person owns, earns $200,000 a year. They are accredited. They don't need to register with anyone. That is, they are self-accredited knowing that they earn that much. And If they tell you that, okay, hey, I earn this much amount of money, well, when I I go to invest in a deal, then you sort of got to take them at their worth if Mm. you have a pre-existing relationship with them. Uh, Everyone who doesn't earn $200,000 a year, yeah, you're unaccredited. And so thus you need to uh, exhibit some sort of what's called sophisticated knowledge of the real estate space. You need to understand what a syndication is. You need to understand what a multifamily apartment complex is. You need to understand those sort of things. And there's a lot of folks out there who do that. They just may not necessarily hit the $200,000 mark, right? So those folks can still invest in real estate just, or in syndication, I should say. They just got to understand where they fall if it's unaccredited or accredited um, status.
0: So if they're unaccredited, we're talking about, you can split an apartment complex between 35 individuals. Is that right?
1: Correct. That's okay. correct.
0: So, I mean, folks, you can do the math there pretty quickly. If you find out what's for sale and you can say, okay, we've got to divide this. Now, some people are going to take higher risk. Some people are going to take lower risk. And then I'm assuming that you all would distribute uh, according to what the risk is and, and the market share uh, of what you make off of it at the end of, of every that month, is, that right?
1: That that is that is exactly correct, and 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 here's the other thing: the you can also go and and, and the, I'm, I don't want to get too into the weeds, but the the if you just have a group of people who come together, and again, I'm not I'm not a uh, attorney by any means, but you've got to consult your attorney. But if you're saying you're just going to go take down a 20 unit property, and there's you and your five buddies, and you all have the same voting right, even though you might bring slightly different cap, capital amounts to the table, well, then that's more of a JV, and that's not really. Yeah, the SEC is not because everyone's got the voting right. Everyone vote on work. Okay, we want to sell the asset, we want to refi it, we want to paint it purple, you know, whatever it might be. And so that's more of a, a joint venture. It's when you limit the voting right of a investor is when you get into offering a security. And that's when you've got to comply with the Security Exchange Commission laws, which is what I stated before, the, the accredited status versus non-accredited status. Does that make sense?
0: That's per, Yeah, that's a great explanation for that. So let's talk just a minute about return on investment when it comes to a syndication. What kind of numbers are we talking about? I mean, we've got, I talked with a gentleman today, I stopped by his place. He's a, a retired psychiatrist that's got quite a bit of his retirement and stock Right now and he's pretty nervous and he's been, uh, you know, with oil and gas the way it is. I mean, this morning we touched Negative $40 a barrel. And uh, <laughs> our town is about 22% uh, oil and gas. And so it's, mm-hmm. it can be scary. Uh, and so individuals, once we get this correction, I think there's going to be a certain sense of, I need to diversify my portfolio. And, and if I'm 100% in pharmaceuticals or 100% in even just the S&P 500, I need to be able to move out into real estate. But then a lot of these guys like him is like, I don't want to have be a landlord. I don't want to deal with, uh, should I replace a hot water tank or should I delay the, you know, my roof got hail damage, what do I do with this? Doesn't want to deal with that and even doesn't want to deal with the property management. Doing that. So this could be a perfect vehicle for those individuals that want to kind of transition into real estate without Correct. doing something like a RETS fund or something like that. So um, exactly. talk to me about how they would get involved in something like that. I mean, what are they is it is it just they, you know, do you, on your website do you have like property values and here's your return for your minimum investment? How does that work?
1: Yes. I think that in general, it all starts with education, right? Education, education, education. If you're interested in the syndication space, you do need to be somewhat um, savvy, right, about how to go and invest passively in a deal. And so that requires some sort of education. And that means you need to go and vet sponsors. And when I say sponsors, it is, you know, operators who have been successful at real estate syndication over a period of years. They've got a proven track record. You can go and talk to them and they're open about their track record. You can see some of their buildings you really need to build rapport with those invest uh, those business owners which is uh, what we call uh, sponsors and you want to be able to make sure that you can trust them right because that's the first and foremost thing is that if you don't have you don't have trust in a sponsor to go off and take your money and and do the right thing with it then you shouldn't be investing with them. But on the other side, you also need to make sure you're educated about what the, the right questions are you need to ask. So back to the we talked about accreditation status, the non-accreditation status. You need to ask about you know a sponsor for um, their the proven track record. You can, you can ask for an example of what a, what a PPM looks like, which is called a private placement memorandum. You know you need to understand all these things and these legal um, um, paperwork that goes into investing in uh, in, in a passive investment. Um, once you have got your head wrapped around that, and it, it it will take a period of time. I'm not going to say it take forever it might take a couple of months just to learn and read some books and all that sort of stuff once you've done that you go out and you start vetting sponsors you go out and start talking to people who do you, you know other people have invested in passively in deals with. who do you recommend that i would go and invest with and you know you, you can invest with us but you know we've got also builders you've got to build a relationship with that investor and, and, and that so does the investor need to build a relationship with the sponsor. So you need to go out and talk to people, have coffees, you know, go out to lunch, kick the tires a little bit and make sure over a period of time you're comfortable about where you're placing your capital because that's at the end of the day really what you're doing because you are still investing in in uh, in a, in a in an, in an asset that has risk, right? You're still investing, even if you own the asset, you and buy a single family house, there's still risk that things can go wrong. Similarly, with syndication risks can still happen um the reason you 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 invest in these is because you're okay with those risks or you've mitigated those risks and you're thus you're going to get paid more on your money for those particular investments rather than putting it in a bond which we spoke about before so overall it's about education it's about getting to know sponsors it's about getting to understand uh the real estate syndication space and as i said earlier Multi-family is just one asset class in syndication. You can invest in self-storage. You can invest in mobile home parks. You can invest in single-family large portfolio funds that go off and buy a bunch of single-family portfo- uh, single-family properties. in Maybe it's in Oklahoma City or maybe there's some in Oklahoma City and some in Texas. There's a lot of different ways you can invest in, quote-unquote, a, a real estate syndication. And it just... You got to understand the asset. You got to understand the space, and that is what's going to lead you down the path to certain sponsors, and ultimately, hopefully, you make it a right investment decision uh, to invest in, in in a real estate sponsor. You know, you can, and again, back to the ROI. You can, you know, depending on the deal, but you anywhere from between, as I said, five to eight percent cash on cash a year, in between, you know, nine to uh, so ten to fifteen percent annualized R R I R R I should say. Um, so. It really depends on what you're ch- what you're chasing. If you really want the higher risk stuff, you know, you want the bigger returns, well, there's gonna be there's gonna be more risk in that. So, you know, you've got to understand those risks. So make sure you're educated about it. But if you want a little bit more safer middle of the road investment, then you also got to understand what that that means as well. So um, there's a, there's a whole slew of opportunities out there. You just got to go out and start getting educated, start talking to folks, get recommendations, and just you know, chat with people. So yeah.
0: You've been listening to the voice of Reed Goosens, founder of Wildhorn Capital, host of the Investing in the US podcast, and author of two best selling books on investing right now on Amazon.com. Reed, before we let you go here, one question that I think everybody has is with COVID 19 impacting our market and really being a catalyst of what may have already been wheels in motion to do um, what some call, again, a depression or a recession. What do you have to say about what we should be doing? Should we be waiting till we hit rock bottom? What do we do in the next 90 days? What do we do in the next 365 days here?
1: Next 90 days, education, 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 work on yourself. If you're new to the, if you're listening, you're tuning in for the first time, this is the first ever episode, well, welcome first and foremost. But the second one is go off and start learning. Pick up a couple of books. There's so many great books out there that I can definitely recommend um, about getting involved in real estate for the first time. And so this is an opportunity that, yes, people are on pause or in houses and I got a little bit of that fear mentality right now. Well, use it to learn. Use it to understand real estate or get educated on a specific investment you want to get involved with that's in sort of the short term um or go, start networking with other people i would go and encourage people to go to local rear events real estate investment association events there's so many of them around um, and start surrounding yourself with other people who are being successful in these markets and you can learn from those people so really education is the first and foremost in the next 30 to 60 90 days Once you start getting educated, you'll start to understand what the opportunities are that exist out there in the er post-pandemic era, right? We'll call it the next six (laughs) to 12 months. And that is when you can start looking for investment opportunities. And And that doesn't mean
0: the the PPE, post-pandemic era,
1: post pandemic that's it not <laughs> not the PPP which is yeah. a completely different yeah, thing right. but 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 the you know if you look back at history in 2008 and 2009 they weren't the best times for buying real estate the best times for me buying real estate was actually 2010 2011 because real estate's a slow-moving beast it moves like a slow barge I think the impact on real estate will will be seen the q4 q1 next year then it will immediately like once we all get out of our houses, it's not all of a sudden going to be these rock bottom price deals that you can just go pick up for pennies on the dollar. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time, so that's where you use this time to educate yourself. And then once, if and once that comes down the the, the, the road, you you're better educated to go and make an investment decision on whether you're buying your own investment property or investing with someone else. And that is really where I think, personally, things are going to happen. It's going to be more like a uh, the Nike swoosh. You know, people talk about the, the V-shaped recovery. I think it's going to be – we've obviously come down very sharply. We will recover, like everything. Winter will pass, um, but it will be a bit more of a longer tail. And I think the biggest thing with the that's going to make it a longer tail is this unemployment. And so, hopefully, we can get those unemployment numbers down that mean we can get back to some more normalcy in the market. Um, but along the way, I think there will be good buying opportunities as well. So, yeah.
0: Folks, that's Reed Goosens, founder of Wildhorn Capital. If you want to know more information about investing, and remember, investing is not a fast thing. You shouldn't be getting your heart racing right now. You should be thinking about the future of you and your family. These are about decisions that we make over a long period of time. There's a lot of stuff in the market right now we can't control. We want to focus on the things we can control, and that's our education. That's our ability to perceive the market and look for opportunities in the next few months and the next coming years. And we do that by each day making a dedication to better ourselves and better our education. You can do that in many ways. He's talked about several books, some books that he's written himself. But you can just do it is the main thing. Make the effort to educate yourself. Reed, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Oh, mate, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to share the, uh, the airways with yourself. So hopefully people learnt a little bit.
0: You bet. Thanks for listening. And for more information, check out okcrealestateshow.com slash market news. You can contact me right on there. And folks, that email goes right to my box. You can ping my phone, ask any questions about the Midwest market. A lot of what Reed's been doing is down south in Texas, just a couple of hours south of here. So if you're that type of investor that loves to check on your own properties and really see it, Uh, going between Austin and Oklahoma City or Dallas and Oklahoma City, not a problem at all. So thanks for watching this episode. Don't forget to subscribe. If you're a podcast listener, your reviews matter. That's the easiest way to give back to our channel is to leave a review. Thanks for watching and listening.
1: For more information and to listen or watch online, visit okcrealestateshow.com.